Becca, so today uh, our guest has written, I think it's like nine or ten books, has been an author or co-author on a lot of different books. So that's pretty amazing to me. So it made me think about what is going to be the title of your first book, Becca? <laughs> I think I'm going to call it, I finally got a contract, is what I'm going to call it, because <laughs> I have, um, I really, um, particular things that I want to write about and I'm a little stubborn so there are things I know I could write about and probably put a book out but um, I'm so busy doing all the other stuff that we do like podcasts and live streams and all of that that for me um, somebody's gonna have to offer me a paid contract to actually write a book because I don't have the time to sit and write it I just don't it has to be like I don't know, it has to set up so that I can eat something at the same time as writing, which is not something that you always get the pleasure of doing. Um, but I think if, when and if I um, tackle my first book, I have three in mind, and it's whether or not they'll get published. So I want to do a nighttime affirmations book to go with the course that I teach. Um, I think it'd be so much fun, and I've already kind of started that. I also want to write about um, sort of the whole journey through the self-defined living thing and why I wrote that. Um, and then my secret heart book is to write about what it was like to be my mom's caregiver um, through her death. So to be an autistic person with your my only person, she was my only person, um, and then to lose that person in my life but also have to be at the same time her caregiver. Right? So all of a sudden I was thrust into a really big responsibility role and it was very fast and very short. Um, and I don't think that a lot of our parents out there think about the fact that their children will one day be their caregivers um, and what that what they need to be teaching their kids in terms of how to be a caregiver um, and that kind of thing. So, but that's just my crap. What are you going to write about? I'm sure your stuff was like far more entertaining than mine. No, you had a way better answer than I I do. I, I I'm not I'm not sure. Um, it probably would be something relating to storytelling. Um, some something kind of get along those lines. So I think that's one of the reasons I love podcasts. I've always loved TV series and movies before that. So um, probably something, some type of storytelling um, regarding the lives of of autistics. It would probably be something uh, geared uh, towards that. Um, yeah. So it's very, very uh, fiction or not fiction, like fiction storytelling. Oh, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Probably fiction, probably fiction storytelling um, in, in regards to that. I think that. that's awesome because you've heard me say it before when we have other writers on. I wish I could write fiction. It's really, really hard yeah. for me. Hard for young sure, because your books too are also very serious. So I end up writing a lot of serious things. But I'm not a very serious person, so <laughs> it's really weird. Well, anyway, I am excited for the guest that we have with us today. Um, I have known Yen for quite some time now. Um, we have co-authored a book, in fact, together. We both worked on Spectrum Women. Um, and I also am envious of the amount of books that Yen has written <laughs> because it, it is unbelievable. Um, but, again, that's your special interest and your strength. So I'm excited to hear all about that um, and all of your other side interests as well. Um, so please welcome Yen all the way from Australia. Doug and I are ending our day, and Yen is waking up. <laughs> and so we are here uh, talking autism. 
Yes, I woke up at 5.30 and because I had to get up early, I thought, well, I might as well get up now. So I got up, I've been up since 5.30. I've had my breakfast. I've got dressed. We weren't going to do pyjamas, so that's good. I wasn't sure if this was video or audio, but I thought probably getting dressed would be a good idea. And yes, my passionate interest is autism advocacy. So um, that's been my passion and interest for about 10 years. And... Um, it's why I do all the things I do. People say, you do two full-time jobs worth, you know, you, you really do work hard. But for me, it's not work. Um, I mean, sometimes it's a bit of a chore. But most of the things I do, I'm really passionate about and I care about. And it, it sparks joy, you know. It's something, when someone says to me, would you like to write a book with me? I'm always going to say yes, depending on what the book is. I've had some shoppers in the past. I had somebody sent me this thing that was really ableist and anti-autistic and just horrific. And I wrote back and I said, look, I can't promote this. I, I was very polite. I said, it doesn't align with my thinking on the subject. And what I meant was, <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, yes, I do have nine published books. I can talk about them. The first one's an autobiography. The second one's a book on employment for autistic teens to get them ready for the workforce. The um, third one is the Guide to Good Mental Health on the Autism Spectrum, which is exactly what it sounds like. Then there's two books on resilience for parents. There's a self-published poetry book. There's a book for kids called The Autistic, the Awesome Autistic Go-To Guide, which is... Um, all about uh, self-knowledge and empowerment for autistic kids, and that's the best seller. We sold thousands of those. Uh, the other one is Women on the Spectrum, not Spectrum Women, although I did contribute to that, but this one is called Women on the Spectrum, and I wrote that with Dr. Emma Goodall, who is awesome. Um, and then I've got one that just came out last month, which is called The Autistic Trans Guide to Life, and that's with co-author Wen Lawson, who's... Um, Len Lawson is awesome. Um, he's a wonderful autistic trans actor who's been around for longer than me, and I've been around for a long time. So, yes, that's my paper, children. Okay. Amazing. I, I, as a writer, I look at it, and every time another book is coming out, I'm like, how do they have the time to do this? Where do the spoons come from? Um, and, and I really envy it. So one day I will get there, that I will, will be able to set the time aside because I know you do a lot of that you like there's time that you know you're going to be writing and you sit and you write and I don't do that well I find it has to be a practice like it actually has to be like a job because if you just do it when you feel like it you'll never do it um or you'll I'd find if I just wrote when I felt like writing I do lots and lots and lots of blog posts and no books because books are a bit more involved and I've got strategies for books so I step out subheadings um, for each chapter and then write to those, which I find helps a lot. Um, but, yes, I, I, I don't write books for pleasure generally. Um, I write them for the end result, which is the book, whereas blogs, I could sit and write a blog every day. I really could and sometimes I do. The only thing that limits me is I don't want to be posting them on everyone's group every day because people get really annoyed with me and say, stop posting your blogs on our group. So I try to limit myself to one a week. But, uh, I failed last week. I had three of the silly things. But, um, and, Yen, why was it important to you to, or where did the idea come from to write the Autistic Trans Guide to Life? So we were writing, Tanya Masterman and me were writing the Awesome Autistic Go-To Guide for kids. We got into it and we thought we should put something about gender diversity in there. 
So we put something about gender diversity in there. And we thought, well, we can't make the whole book about gender diversity, but it's a really important topic. So I thought maybe there's room for another book. So I contacted the publisher and I said, you know, would you be interested in a, a book on gender diversity for autistic people? And they said, oh, we'd love one for adults. And so I thought, well, I can write that, but I'm not going to do it as well by myself as if I had a co-author. And so I contacted Wen and said, Wen, you know, would you like to co-author this book with me? And he said, oh, yes, please. So that's how that one happened. We actually have one that I'm supposed to be writing at the moment, which is um, called, oh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically the Trans Autistic Guide to Life for Teens. So for transgender autistic teens. And so we're writing that at the moment. My co-author is the wonderful Sam Rose, who works with the ICANN Network and is an autistic and queer young person. I figured if I was going to be writing for young people, I probably needed a young person on the team because I'm not young. I'm nearly 47. So um, my understanding of all things youth is, is not so good. Um, so Sam and I are writing that and that's on my list for this weekend to get into because I've got a bit distracted with that. Um, but yeah, so that's where that, that idea came from. And of course, Oh, you see, I've got the trans flag behind me. I think it's my default um, background on Zoom. Um, so autistic people are considerably more likely to be trans and gender divergent than the rest of the population, uh, particularly for young people, but also for older people like me. I'm non-binary, so I've identified as non-binary since 2018. I changed my name in 2019 love the yen it's a good name everyone loves my yen name um i made it up <laughs> it's good um yeah so that's that's where all that comes from that's my interest in that space i love it we have so few resources for that portion of our community especially resources from us for them you know what i mean so few autistic i can't wait i've been recommending it all over the place because every time somebody mentions it i'm like New book out, new book, um, because we don't have our voices in there all the time. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Oh. I did. We did have a dodgy review on on Amazon, and the person said it was all personal stories. I didn't expect that. I didn't didn't want personal stories, and I'm thinking the blurb about the book says <laughs> filled with personal stories. Like. <laughs> description then don't complain about what you get mm -hmm. right. well one of the things that i've been really interested lately is learning about the experiences of older autistic adults and in your in the trans guide to life book that just recently came out you talk there's a section about uh, older autistic trans adults and the issues they face. Can you talk a little bit about what are some of those key issues? Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of the stuff around coming out for older adults is quite fraught. Um, you get people saying, well, why did you wait until you were 70? It's like, well, I didn't have the language around gender diversity. It didn't exist as a thing when I was younger. And so this is actually really liberating, but they can be... Um, you know, um, dismissed and um, erased and all of those things can be very common. Um, and, and just, you know, coming out, if you've got kids and grandkids, coming out to them is a real challenge. Um, 
and they'll be like, well, we always knew you was, you know, so-and-so. Uh, so those things be difficult. Accessing medical interventions is difficult for autistic trans people at every single age group. We get this thing, you know, with kids, it's, you can't know your gender, you're only a child. Um, with older adults, it's like, well, why do that? You know, you're 70. There's, there's no point doing um, um, surgery or, or hormones or anything like that. That can be a real issue as well. Um, and just, you know, people in your life. Um, I think if you're young and you're trans, there's more of an understanding of that. It's like, oh, well, you're coming to understand your identity and who you are. And so that's part of that questioning. But for older people, it can be really dismissed. Yeah, and also that sense of grief, the sense of grief that you, it's the same with older autistic people who are diagnosed when they're in their older adult years, and the same with trans people. There is a grief element. Um, I could have been myself for 70 years, and I'm only getting to that point now, and you get that with autistic people as well that are diagnosed late. It's like, well, this is great. This is a brilliant part of my identity, but... Um, you know, I haven't, I haven't been able to act as myself. I haven't been able to understand who I am for all that time. And now I've got limited time on earth to understand who I am. So I think that grief, that sense of grief and loss can be quite significant. I, I think I just talked about this earlier today, but there, I was going to ask you about, <clears throat> because your diagnosis for autism came so much earlier than coming to the understanding of being non-binary so for me when I got my autism diagnosis it was like an identity shakeup. you know like it took the way that I saw myself and totally changed the way that I saw myself getting that diagnosis so when you went through <laughs> went through it a second time right with becoming non-binary was it really similar for you also did you because I remember that grieving of like there's you I can't get those years back I can't they'll never come back I found when I was diagnosed as autistic, I was 20. And I did not, for a number of reasons, I did not accept that diagnosis. That was not something that I thought described me. And it took me a further seven years to accept my autism diagnosis. Um, so it's a very different process to coming out as non-binary. So my process of coming out was I started talking to some autistic and trans friends and we got talking about gender. And I remember one of them saying, you shaved your head when you were in high school and you always had, you know, men's clothes. Um, and I hadn't thought of that. And I thought, yeah, actually, that's true. And then I started picking together my history and thinking, gee, it's kind of glaringly obvious that I'm transgender. And I came to this a light bulb moment. I'm like, oh, oh right, I, I'm non-binary, I'm trans, okay. And it was a huge liberation. I remember I went to the hairdresser and got this pixie cut and absolutely loved it. And I took a photo and I was like, look at me with my non-binary haircut. Um, and it was, I mean, hair doesn't define your gender, of course. But for me, I, you know, it, it was part of my identity and part of my expression was, was around this. Um, and so it was an absolute liberation. I remember wandering around every day thinking, yay. <laughs> and when I came, when I found, so I wanted to change my name because my, my dead name is very female gendered. It ends in E-double-T-E, so it's very female gendered name. And I never liked my dead name. I never thought it defined me. I always thought it was like an old coat that was too big and uncomfortable 
but he didn't have another coat, so he sort of had to wear it. Um, and so I tried to think of a new name. I kept coming in my mind with all these things, and none of them worked. And I thought, okay, I need to actually leave it to my subconscious. I need to leave my name to my subconscious, and it will come up with something. I was confident of this. And about five months later, I was at work, and suddenly Yen came into my brain, and I wrote it down, Y-E-N-N-E, and I thought, no. And I took off the E at the end, and I'm like, yes, that's my name. And I accepted it within about a millisecond. It was one of those things. It's like when I bonded with my beautiful and sadly no longer with this kitty, uh, Mr. Kitty, and I picked him up. First time I met him, I picked him up and he snuggled in. And at that moment, that millisecond, I knew that we belonged to each other. And it was exactly the same thing with my name. It was intuitive. It was it was instantaneous. And then I unpacked it and I thought, well, to yen in poetry is to yearn. And I'm a big self-reflective person. I've made a career of oversharing. So, you know, yenning is something I do quite a lot. But it was a nod to my dead name, and a lot of trans people have the same first letter as their dead name or bits of it. Well, there's a couple of letters the same, so it's sort of a nod to that. And it's a fairly genderless name in Australia. Um, I think in Southeast Asia it's a girl's name, um, but in Australia, well, no one knows it. And the best thing, when I go to the doctors or something like that, and I'm sitting in the waiting room, and you can see them come out and they're looking around to see who Yen is, it's, it's quite wonderful. Um, uh, but yes, um, I do love my name, and everyone loves my name. Even my parents use it. Shifting topics completely, when I was in preparing to talk with you, I learned, um, I, I don't know if it still is a special interest of yours, Yen, but at one point of your life, uh, fungi was a was a love of yours. What? what I was a kid. <laughs> what did you love about fungi? I can't remember because it was when I was about <laughs> five. But I remember, I'm now 46, so it was some time ago, but I do remember going for walks in the forest in England and seeing all the fungi and I could I could name them. But the lovely thing about that passion, my mum's autistic too, she has a diagnosis and she is now passionate about fungi because I sparked off that passion for her. So it's very nice so autistics can share our passions apparently. Um, but yes, I don't remember much about it. I do remember go-forts and going, oh, that's a Boletus and that's a Fly Agaric and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I haven't been interested in fungi for some time. And I don't like eating mushrooms. How are you doing, Doug? you have more questions? I just had one more question, Yen, before we get to kind of the, the, the end of our show. Um, you know, since this is kind of a show to talk about people's special interests, I was wondering from your perspective... Like, when people don't have a, a special interest, how do you think, like, that impacts them throughout their life? Look, I think it's, I mean, most autistic people, we're, we're driven by our passion. Um, it's the most important thing in our lives. And to be without one or between passions is a real shame for an autistic person um, because, it is what drives us, it's what we love, it's what gives us joy. I mean, it's not, not, nothing quite like the passion of an autistic person. We, we do it really well. So I feel for people that 
don't have one. And it's not something you can manufacture. It's something that suddenly comes to you in my experience. Something that you're like, oh, I need to do this. For me, my passion for autism advocacy happened because I met a young man who was really disabled by other people's low opinions of his capability. And it sort of made me think, well, I need to do something about this. And I suddenly got very passionate about supporting autistic people to be proud of who we are and to, you know, focus on our strengths and positives and not our deficits and weaknesses. Um, and within a very short period of time, I was totally driven, you know, totally driven by this. Um, but, yeah, not having a passion. I didn't have a passion for a while before that. I didn't really have a passion for several years. I, I joined the public service in 2007, and that was a passion for a few years. But it sort of tapered off, and it was dreadful not having a passion. And plus, I had some mental health issues at the time, so that sort of compounded it. But being without a passion is a very sad thing for us. Um, and, yeah, I mean, and as I say, I don't think you can manufacture one. I don't think it's possible to say, oh, I'd like to do this. And it's really um, very depressing, so yeah. I think, when you're, so I don't know what happens, but it's like a switch goes off and all of a sudden, whatever your special interest was doing for you, it's like gone, like it deflated, right, or you yeah. unplugged it somehow, and um, it just yeah. loses pleasure all of a sudden, and you yeah. don't control that, yeah. so when that happens, it's very sad, because all of a sudden, you're having a hard day, you don't have a go-to something to make your day better, or to give you moments yeah. of it or whatever and because we can't manufacture it you're just waiting until like you have no control over when yes. a new one will arrive yes. and will be and all of those things i always yes. find that period really sad i'm very always very sad when that happens um and i go back to old special interests to try them again while i'm yes. like waiting for the new thing yes. it's very upsetting no, it's not the best. It's, it's, and I think people that aren't autistic don't understand it. They don't, because it is a specifically autistic thing. I think it's one thing that's almost, that would be exclusive, I think, to autistics, um, that we have that. And it's one of the best things about being autistic. It is just lovely. I think that brings us to just about the end of our episode where we get where we have a segment called inside the autistic studios so there's just 11 questions for you uh yen um and we can start out with um what are your pronouns they them and what is your preferred stim my preferred stim is a fidget spinner i love those things that lights up. It's so cool. <laughs> you spin it and it's all different colors. It's awesome. What is I your... I like a good flap as well. A good flap. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite curse word? Um, fuck. <laughs> I think it's a wonderful word. It's so, it's so versatile. I think it just needs to be an accepted word now. We all have to get over it. We all love this word. It's a great word. Yeah, it's, awesome. it's an old word. Well, it's been around for centuries. Who do you love and what are you doing about it? Um, I'm sort of asexual and aromantic, so I don't have a partner in my life. And I no longer have a cat in my life, sadly, but my mum is so awesome. 
Um, no, I do love her. And what I'm doing about it is I call her every day. We have a lovely conversation. <laughs> nice. The next two are fill in the blank. Um, you may be neurotypical if... You talk about boring stuff. true. <laughs> <laughs> you may be autistic if... You're awesome. <laughs> yeah. What's something you want to learn to do or be better at? Cooking. What uh, social, what autistic social media accounts should people be paying attention to? Oh, I think Neurodivergent Rebel is my favorite. They're awesome. Um, Neurodiverse Woman is also awesome. Uh, Spectrum Women, of course, is fantastic. The I Can Network, Reframing Autism, I could go on forever. I didn't tell you to stop. (laughs) (laughs) They were all great, all great ones. Uh, Oh, Neurodiversity Newsstand, of course. Of course. (laughs) Thinking Person's Guide to Autism is really good, and Grasp is really good too. But there's dozens, hundreds. What's one thing in your routine you couldn't possibly live without? Breakfast. Dog, cat, or must I choose? Cat, always. <laughs> and then the I last. I knew that was going to be one for me. <laughs> yeah. for cat. <laughs> and then the last question: What does autistic joy mean to you, Yan? Yep. Um, we're, we're heading through April and <laughs> some good ones coming up. Yep. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this one. I'm going to go back to bed and watch TV now. <laughs> oh, please do. Um, and before I forget, um, you can find Yen. Is it, is the, um, what is your URL now for your website? www.yenperkis.com Okay, fantastic. So you can find him there. All the things are there that you need. Um, but mostly you can find their blogs there. And um, their blogs are amazing. So take some time and read. Um, I appreciate it. Have a really great day, everybody. Go out and create some joy and seek some joy and all of that. Doug and I will be back next time.